Welcome to Fires on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and right in front of me is Roy. Has it really been only two weeks since we got back together? It seems like forever. There's been so much going on. Holy cow. I almost wanted to emergency pod. I wanted I wanted a podcast to emergency podcast after Andrew Green got fired. Well, I wanted to do an emergency podcast after Amarillo won the oh, Texas League. I know, and I even texted you that day and said, "Hey, let's do it." And but you know, our our better halves prevailed. Yeah, well, on logistical you know issues, we could have done it by the phone. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, here we are. Here we are, and you know, we're gonna get into it here in a minute. But Amarillo, for the first time since 1976 has won the Texas League Championship. In grand fashion, too. In grand fashion. We're going to have that audio for you later on, but dude, that's sick. But real quick, uh, let's start with our week. Let's start with, God, we went to the Kirby Yates uh, fundraiser. We did. We That was a fantastic event. Which was cool. It was It was, It was. was casual, yeah. and it was. it's always neat to see the players in a different environment yeah. than you, we're used to seeing them in a uniform, on a ballpark, and yeah. there, you know, there's a certain persona that they put out but a certain distance you really do kind of even when they're signing autographs it's very it's really sign a thing handed out sign a thing handed out very yeah. impersonal almost yep. and sometimes you get a selfie or whatever uh-huh but they were relaxed they had a couple beers everyone had a few beers in them and no one was too crazy yeah um and fans would come up and go hey can i get a picture you know machado would be like yeah you know or, or whoever yeah, but before the thing so angela got angela and i went in early and so we had a chance to mingle a little bit more when there's you know less people around and so like for example Garrett Richards yeah. he was walking by and we said hi and I told him that we saw him in Lake Elsinore we saw him in Rancho Cucamonga and so he stopped and he chatted with us for a few minutes told us about what he you know how he's feeling and it it was an honest kind of a you know I, I got the sense that he feels good you know your body at the end of a season of training and playing and all this never feels great. Everybody right. has aches and pains, right. uh, but he feels good. He's strong. And you know what he plans on doing, he's going to take a month off and this and that we were talking to, um, to Craig Stammen and, and his wife, whose name is uh, escaping me right now. And I Miss feel bad Stammen. for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's very pregnant. <laughs> she's doing like two weeks, but they were talking about their plans. They're going to take a month off, go back to Ohio where they've got a training facility back there that they work with. Uh, just talking to about talk to Ty France. We talked to Trey Wingenter. So it was a very you, casual, relaxed kind of a thing. So what did Ty say when you said, like, do you attribute all your success to uh, the podcast mojo or what? He just gave a smile and a cordial kind of a giggle. <laughs> um, I said the same kind of thing to Nick Mergavichis too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I. Both of them had kind of the same response. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, you're not. I mean, obviously, we don't have anything to do with it, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. It's just kind of a bit. It's a funny bit for us, and it's it our one very few bits this this podcast has. Um, but I thought it was cool. I thought Dallas killed it. Dallas was awesome. Dallas McLaughlin was the first act of two. He was the local act. Yeah. And the second guy was John Ozale, I believe you pronounce yeah. his last name. Um, he's more of a national personality, I suppose. But Dallas was awesome. He. And he roasted the Padres light, light roasted. It he was did. just toasty. It wasn't roasted. He bounced around. He made fun of Kirby. Uh, Kirby's middle name yeah. is a Hawaiian version of the name Gary. Right, which is a <laughs> a bit was a bit to all into itself, and it was really you know he's like you must get beat up and you know Kirby, you know you get beat up a lot as a Kirby and. Uh, well, it, didn't Joey say Joey Cantillo tell us something similar about his middle name? So Joey's can I don't have it on top here, but yeah, the his middle name is a Hawaiian name, uh, and it means Robert. Yeah. 
So I I wonder how the Hawaiians, and this was something that Dallas was riffing on, was yeah. how they came up with Hawaiian alternative names for uh, for English names. Right. It's so <laughs> right. random. Aloha means so many different things in Hawaiian, but they have a word. One word for Gary. Because <laughs> Gary just doesn't sound cool in Hawaiian, I guess. No, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it sounds cool in any language. Sorry to all the Garys out there. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> this is coming from a guy named Roy. So. Right. Um but he brought the house down with his whole uh, uh, USA the, the, the party in the USA party thing? in the USA bit. Yeah. Oh my god! And that was so. Rod Barajas earned some points for for me with okay. that. So first there was that because the party in the USA thing, and he goes, "Come on, is there anybody out there that actually is going to admit to liking this song?" And he was the first one to put his hands up. And then next thing you know, five minutes later, everybody's got their hands up. They're they singing clapping. that song. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know Miley Cyrus did that song. Yeah, that's that was like her big breakout hit, I guess. Really? But it is one of those songs that no matter who you are, when you're in the car and if you've stuck with it long enough, you find yourself kind of like, you maybe not outwardly, but inside you're kind of going along with it. It's it's stuck in my head right it's now. It's not a song anybody wants to admit liking, but it's... <laughs> no, and it was really good. And so he's telling this joke and he starts somehow, spins it into smoking weed and he goes, right, Myers? And the whole room, like, just died. I mean, the players were just rolling. Like, everyone was just laughing. It was a funny moment. And Will was, too. And Will was It was a great sport. Um, he really did kill it. And, uh, you know, he kind of said a lot of things that we wanted to say, but he made it sound funny. If we would have said yeah. it, it would have been like, you're a jerk. No, he treaded that line very well. Very well. We talked to him beforehand. He wasn't allowed to make Andy Green jokes. That was the right. one thing they told him was off limits. Right, of course. Because he had a whole bunch of Andy Green material prepared, and then Andy got let go like the day before. Yeah. And that was the day of Rod's first win as manager. Yeah. So, yeah, he he Dallas brought the house down, and then there was an intermission where Ashley Yates went up and they had these raffle prizes and she was going to begin giving the raffle prizes away. And her joke, when she first started the thing before she even had Dallas come out, oh, yeah. said something about, uh, I've dealt with something pricks. Now, it wasn't bigger pricks. It was like uh, I've some, something about pricks. And it it wasn't meant to be funny, but it was funny. And it was like, you know, everyone's looking at Kirby going, oh, you're something about your penis or whatever. <laughs> um, it was funny. And, and she well, was. Well, then Dallas played off of that. He made yeah. a closer joke with it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we go into intermission. Yeah. And uh, where everyone's mingling about, you know, all the fans are like, I just stayed at my table. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to, I wasn't going to bug anyone. Uh, but we're sitting there, and I see Dallas walk up to Will and kind of do the, you know, uh, Will's two tables away from us, and he's facing away. But you see Dallas walk up, and, you know, he's sitting with him, and he's like, you know, hey, I, you know, that was you're good being a good sport. And you see head, you know, his head bobbing like, yes, in agreement. And then I turn away, and he walks by. And then, like, three minutes later, there's a commotion. Everyone's circled around somebody where just about where Will Myers was. Yeah. And... You know, it was quiet. We didn't know what happened. We, we, it was there was a little bit of pandemonium. I heard a couple um, of people say the name Will. I didn't hear anyone, but there were so many people standing up in front of us because we yeah. were one table in front of you, and then Will was two tables in front of us. Yeah. So I heard people say Will's name. I couldn't see him sitting there, so all I could presume was he was on the ground. Right. I didn't see any motion, so it's an epilepsy fundraiser. So the first thing that came to my mind is, and th there were tables that were reserved for people Doctors, with the people. foundation. Right, absolutely. And so I thought maybe there's somebody who's actually an epilepsy patient that is having an, an 
Right. Dallas and, McLaughlin and, had someone, you know, give him an epilepsy fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, that's that was my immediate thought. But then we found right. out that it was Will on the ground. And I didn't know it was until he got up and he okay. was down for a while. And it was, it was so we got serious. It wasn't like it was he several minutes. Over. I don't know if it was more than five minutes. It felt like more than five minutes. Um, I watched him walk in. I didn't watch, you know, I'm I'm. I'm, I'm Alan on, so I didn't watch him how many drinks he had, but there wasn't enough time for him to get hammered. No. Unless he's throwing back shots of whiskey, which I didn't see. Well, and so, I can tell you that they were not serving strong drinks. Oh, interesting. Yeah. For $9 a drink? I don't know how much were they. They, they were more than $9. Oh, my God. But see, the proceeds is... go to the okay, Epilepsy the... Foundation. Fantastic. Yeah, so you justify it like that. But yeah, it, I, we said hi to him when he came walking by us, yeah. and eye contact he was lucid he was yeah. coherent he said a couple things to us he was he seemed normal yeah he didn't seem inebriated in any way um and so he was on the ground one thing that angela pointed out to me was that rod barajas and i believe his wife that was with him they were right on top of it okay. like they were the ones that were on a knee right on him scott kaplan was right in front of scott, him too as well. scott was right there and so as I, I i was talking to dennis lynn about this and it's like if there's a place to have an episode where you go unconscious right. at that event, you're surrounded by doctors and all kinds of people who know exactly what to do in that situation. Well, and, and, and Vanessa who Yates, no, uh, Ashley Yates, Ashley Yates. She handled it really well. She's like, you guys, if you can clear it around, there's a lot of doctors. Here. Yeah. Cause I'm all the- laughing, but she's like, there's a lot of doctors here. So if you let them kind of tend to him and you guys step away and cause all the players kind of moved over there, yeah. they were all standing up, looking over, trying to see what was going yeah. on. I saw Eric Cosmer grab a water and try to pass it forward. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she and she even kept the raffle going. No, She's like, yeah. okay, let's take the attention away from that and let's keep continue with our show. So then, at some point, they finally lifted him. They brought him to his feet yeah. and they carried. They took him backstage. He walked under on his own power, but yeah. he looked from behind. He was definitely Unsteady. kind of doing the zombie walk a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's a guy that goes to these things, and I've seen him at Petco. I've I've seen. Like him around the Padres, might have been in spring training as well. He's a tall, skinny guy, and I think he's almost like the Padres handler. Like he's the player, like no hair, no hair. Okay, he had this. Yeah, I nice, saw him that baby blue jacket on. Yeah, he yeah, he was well. he was a Padres personnel in some way. He's probably the guy. He's like their handler. Like so, he was on it. Like he was at the door. He was there making sure everything was like copacetic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him around. Hey, look at that. Um. <laughs> My phone's here as a guest, so we'll be doing that later. Um, but yeah, so and he was, so I'm sure that he was the one that kind of keeps an eye on the Padres. And if anything were to happen, I think if we were to like, if he wanted anyone killed, like he would have been the one. Like, all right, he's he's he the Roy Donovan. Like, he did kind of look like a hitman, dude, a little bit. He's like the Roy Donovan <laughs> of the Padres. Like, okay, I'll clean that up. Wait, know? who's Roy Donovan? It's a show on Showtime. I've what? never heard of this because I'm Roy and you're Donovan. I know it's uh, Donovan. <laughs> I think it's Roy Donovan. But yeah. Anyways, he's uh, it's a he's a cleaner. Okay. He he cleans his messes up. So another thing that Angela pointed out to me was that Rod went to the back room with Will. Okay. Rod stayed with him the entire time. Okay. He even after the show was over and everybody was getting up and leaving, we did not see Rod again for the rest of the night. He stayed with Will the whole time. Yeah. So. That so there was the party in the USA thing where he was having fun and everybody was having fun with him, yeah. and then that where he wanted to make sure that his guy was okay. Yeah, he stuck with him the whole time. That that says something to me. Um, so after that all cleared up and then they finished the raffle, then this other guy came in, John Ozale, 
came in to do his bit, and oh my god, I felt so bad for him. I do. I feel so bad. Because <laughs> so the first... room was dead. Dallas lit the place up, and then the place just fell silent. The whole way, the wind got sucked out of the room. Well, absolutely. And then his first joke was about the camouflage jerseys. Yeah, and you got a lady heckling him. We support our team. <laughs> Oh God, I felt bad, and but it took him a while. He did get the room. He got the room back, but you know there weren't a lot of hefty, hardy, hardy laughs. There were a bunch of like pretty good laughs, but well, because we're all still reeling from what we saw. We're like, yeah. holy cow, what do we just see? Is they is he okay? Yeah. So how can you flip that switch and get back to you know casual? Let's have fun. But anyway, it was a fantastic event. Raised a bunch of money for the thing. The players were all there. They interacted with the fans. Yeah, it was cool, and it was it was it was neat. Yeah. Um, so the other big news that's happened while we're on our major league 15 <laughs> minutes here, uh, Andy green was terminated by the Padres. Wah, wah. So what's your take on that? Well, it's funny because just the night before I'm like, we'll probably give them till the end of this season and maybe into the beginning of next season. Oh, I didn't think it was going to make it into next season. I really thought maybe they'll get him a month into the season. And then if they're not doing well, They'll they'll let him go. I figured it was going to be right after the end of the season, and then when they're doing their exit interviews, and they say thanks for your service. Yeah, uh, you know, go pack your bags, and then they'd be looking for the new person. Mm-hmm. So somebody on the media, I think it was, I think it was Annie Heilbrunn, pointed out that the Padres were beginning to do all those last week interviews, and so that's why they let him go before that because having him in that room would be disingenuous, right, for so- going into the off season. Probably were talking to the players and would have been management. So they yes. were going to go talk to all together. But if they're going to talk to a, a lame duck and they know it, why not just let it happen? Yeah, it's like it's like and, us normal employees going in for our annual review for our manager uh, oh, and oh, then yeah. finding out the next day that our manager got let go. It's like, what does that mean? That kind of sounds like, well, we won't go into that. Dominic and Link Elsinore. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can talk about that. Another time. Uh-huh. But that's... So you're right. So that makes sense. I'm not... Like I still don't think the manager has that much of a of a pull, and and as a fan, um, there's been plenty of times that I bitched about Butch. There's been plenty of times that I bitched about Bud Black. There's been tons of times that I bitched about Andy Green. But I'm not one of these guys that goes on, you know, fire, fire, fire. It's, it's the player's fault. It is. And in, and if you want to get right down to it, he's just the cook. You he, know what I mean? The chef that wrote the recipe is AJ Preller. Yeah, but then if the chef is running a kitchen where everybody's unhappy and grumpy and people aren't getting along with each other and not performing right then they're not going to be performing to their level and that's so we don't know who sets the lineup i've gotten some impression from kevin acey just since andy green's been gone that apparently he has more to do with the in-game moves and things like that than As we thought manager really should yeah i thought that a lot of that stuff was data driven and kind of but it sounds like he was given a lot of freedom to set lineups right. and start Ian Kinsler a lot. That was one of the things that people have been kind of theorizing on is that Luis Rios came up and he was there for two weeks and he hardly got any at-bats. Yeah. And he struggled in those at-bats. Meanwhile, Kinsler starting every day. And it's like, okay, Struggling. why did Preller bring right. bring Rios up to sit on the bench? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, I took it real quick. I, I took it as... Him, you know, he gets the he gets the nod from upstairs. Okay, play these guys. Maybe look at the the analytics. Who's hitting best against this right-handed pitcher or whatever, whatever. Uh, and then in game is a manager. Like he's not going to call up to AJ Preller. Go like, okay, should I put in uh, Yates in the ninth inning with a tight ball game? Or no, that's a manager's job to make those decisions in game. 
using analytics, using mm-hmm. the best data that they have to make those decisions. I didn't know he had more that much freedom with the lineup. So. I, I I don't know. None of us will ever know. Right. But it, apparently in the, um, what do they call it? The, the, the podcast that Kevin Acey does with, the other guy from the Union Tribune, Jay Posner. The yeah, on Friar podcast, I think they yeah. call it. Uh, that's they were a little bit more candid about what exactly happens. Yeah. So anyway, it's an end of one era, and now everybody's talking about a dozen different candidates for what's going to the the handling of the players coming up and the handling of the players that are on the active roster. That's what I'm curious about about. Yeah who gets playing time, and then also how he manages the personalities. So if Eric Hosmer wasn't happy, if for whatever reason Manny Machado wasn't on the same page as the manager, and right. you've lost those two guys, right. then you've lost the a lot. Right, absolutely. And I also wonder if Will Myers was kind of drifting along because he just wasn't mentally engaged during the games. Yeah. I don't doubt that he wasn't trying hard to get up there when he was had his moment, but... and. Dallas McLaughlin called that as the thing. He's like, yeah, you're too much. Uh, something about being on Twitch, right? Oh, Myers? yeah. <laughs> and once again, it killed the room. It just died. Because well, that the, was like a cringy moment. But it What the guys do at night is... is yeah. up to, but that moment last year where it's like, these games don't mean anything. I'm playing third base. It's clear that I'm not going to be playing third base going forward. So why right. am I out here doing relay drills? Right. right. I, I, I kind of get that. Right. And I've even seen... Maybe he was making moves this last couple of weeks just to try to win games because yeah. he knew that his his butt was on the line. Absolutely, doing whatever he can, desperate you know, desperate moves, or just trying to mix things up mm-hmm. to make things happen. I um, but for me, to, I'll, I'll just say this: Did I see Andy Green being the manager taking us through to the World Series? I don't think so. I don't think I ever saw that. I I, I really he was really hired. I I feel um. To get us through this period of bringing up the young kids, he's very positive. He's very he he can turn the end of the world into a sunny day mm-hmm. with just a few sentences, and you need that when you're a young player trying to develop. Uh, say what you want about him playing guys to develop or not develop, or how, that's immaterial. I don't think I saw him as the manager going, you know, making moves during the World Series, you know, or to get us that far. And that's not a knock. It's not a knock on him, but. I really do feel that we do need someone that's more uh, veteran, more um, experienced. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. Everyone wants to say Joe Madden, but right now, ninety percent of the Cubs fans are hating Joe Madden. So what you know, when one person's trash is another one's treasure, um, it is a plum. It is absolutely a plum position. Yeah, but it's going to be a plum position with some ripening to be happening. Like players mm-hmm. are still going to have to develop. He's going to have to. The team is going to have to perform, or you know, maybe a two, maybe a two, maybe a three-year deal, depending on who they get. Maybe it's a two-year deal. Yeah, yeah, but, but success is going to be expected from day one. Yeah, absolutely. Next year, you've got you've got a roster that has the potential to compete, so you need to be able to make these guys perform. See, and, and I and I have a and I have and I have a problem with that because is is. You know, is Will Myers going to turn around and hit 280 with, you know, a 385? Well, you got to find a way to get his head screwed on straight so he can. And the consistency with, you know, with the backstop, with like, there's lots of moves. So I know we're getting way out of bounds here, and we can spend our whole podcast talking about this because it's really interesting and it's, you know, it's meaty. <laughs> there's lots it of is. meat on that bone. Um, but it's, it's not just the incoming manager that's going to be 
under the spotlight. It's also going to be Preller because yeah. this is going to be his ultimate, you know, make it or break it moment because he's built up the farm system. He's acquired some big pieces. Now he's going to hire a new manager that's supposed to be, you know, the last, the, the cherry on top of yeah. the Sunday to push yeah. you over the top. So if is. this team doesn't succeed, then they might send him back and say, thanks for all the hard work. We need to bring in somebody else that can, you know, a Dave Dombrowski type. I mean, not somebody who's going to sell away the farm, but somebody yeah. with the the track record of building major league rosters and succeeding with that. But we're not here to talk about major league That's stuff a for lot an hour. Of stuff right there. That's 15 minutes plus of major league 15 minutes. Yeah. So the the other big news that we've gotten, which for us minor league folks, yeah, we like keeping track of stuff. The instructs, the fall instructs, yes. yes. And that's going to feed into the Don Welke Classic here at Petco Park. Tuesday, here at Petco Park. We're not at Petco. We're not at Petco Park. No. <laughs> right. Tuesday, 6 o'clock, downtown uh, at Petco Park is the Don Welke Classic. I believe we'll be playing the Texas Rangers again. Yes. Um, some more, you know, these past few games have been just chock full of guys that are on, not only on the Major League roster, but we've had Tuka Peter Marcano. We've had... Josh Naylor, we know Hudson Potts. Uh, Reggie Lawson was the big, the slider from Reggie Lawson last year was mm-hmm. the big, was the big get and big show. Yeah, last year you had a, an infield of all shortstops. Right, Owen Miller, Xavier it, Edwards, uh, Gabriel Arias, and Tucupita Marcano was the starting infield last year. Yeah, and so this year we're going to have C.J. Abrams. We'll have Taylor Trammell. Um, who's going to the, the pitching there is going to be real interesting. To see so who they, they got. just released a roster. So the way that this works. Um, after the players were done with their full season, with their normal season of minor league ball, they go to Peoria and the Padres put together this list of, I think it's about 60 players um, that are going to be in instructional work for three right. weeks. So they're right. playing, they're playing simulated games, essentially they're scrimmages yeah. where the rules kind of go out the window a little bit. Somebody might be working on bunting. If he drops down a button, gets to first base, you might see somebody else come over and stand on first base and the, the, batter goes back and gets back in the box to bunt again. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Or the pitcher might get the third out, but he was supposed to throw 15 pitches. He only threw 12. Yeah. So he might face another batter. The The rules and the stats go right out the window. Right. It's all about instructional situation kind of things. And it is shorter. So they've shortened it as well. I think it used to be longer. It's now only two weeks, three weeks. Um, and the instruction is much more hands-on. There, there's more coaches there than there are players almost. Oh yeah. This so list you- of coaches and staff is, is huge. Well, I like, and I like the whole shorter, that's one of the questions I want to ask these guys is like, okay, what do you work on? Yeah. Is it quality, quantity, quality over quantity kind of a thing? Right. So running down the the roster, I'm just going to point out some guys that are interesting to me. So Mason Fox is on here. He went from, uh, from Tri-Cities up to Lake Elsinore and had some pretty big moments in the postseason for Lake Elsinore. He did. Um, Martin Carrasco is somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on because we met him in spring training a couple years ago. He likes to be called Alex. Uh, that's like his casual, like friends call me Alex kind of a thing. Super nice kid from Tijuana. Um, Henry Henry, Reggie Lawson, Frank Lopez. Uh, Seth Mayberry was drafted a couple years ago and he's been hurt, but this yeah. was his first year finally playing an affiliated ball. Uh, Michelle Miliano, who when he was signed, he was one of these like high ceiling kind of guys everybody was talking about. We haven't seen seen him a whole lot. He so, was sixteen. I've been following that kid for three years. I, since he was sixteen, I I followed him on Instagram. Now finally, I think he did a little bit. He played a little bit in Tri Cities. Um, it'd be nice to see him get into affiliate ball next season. Mm-hmm. And probably the tallest guy on the roster here is Darius Valdez, 
who was in double A this year, was in single A last year. I believe yeah. he's six foot eight. Yeah. And he's, if, if you've ever walked up to him, he's every bit of that. He is a yeah. tall, tall man, and he's big too. Mason uh, Thompson. Um, Miguel Rondon, a few episodes back, Jason Panini talked about him on his instructs notes. Yeah, I, I saw you had some notes down on that. Chris Lincoln was drafted this year. Uh, Omar Cruz, uh, Bodie Rascon was drafted this year. Noel Vela, Ryan Weathers will be there. Yeah. Um, I don't know from a workload standpoint, I don't know if all of these pitchers are going to be actively pitching in these games because yeah. they've shut down a lot of guys. Yeah. Joey Cantillo got shut down with a week left to go in uh, Lake Elsinore. Just today, I heard that Cal Quantrill, they announced that he's not going to pitch for the remainder of the Shut big league down. season. Um, for good, you know, in a good way. Right. Same kind of thing as Chris Paddock. You've reached your limit. Great job. You've finished healthy. Absolutely. Go have a good offseason. So among the infielders, C.J. Abrams, Luis Almanzar, uh, Gabriel Arias, Jordy Barley, Xavier Edwards, Justin Lopez, Tucupita Marcano, Reginald Preciado, who was signed an international, um, an international free agent signing this year. Yeah. Second highest this year. $1.8 million we we gave him. And just today, real quick, just today, Jeff Sanders had a, a list of about five infielders that we need to keep an eye out for. All of them I knew, except for him. <laughs> oh, well, nobody knows him because we haven't seen him. Yeah. he's. I think he played in the DSL this year. He, uh, it's. I got it right here, number six. At 16 years old, didn't play. Six foot, uh, 169 pounds. Uh, switch hitter. Uh, international free agent, 2019 from Panama. $1.3 million on their bonus pool. Presadio ranked number 22 in MLB international rankings, a compact left-handed swing with a knack for putting the ball on play. He's ahead of his right-handed stroke. The Potters believe he can stay at shortstop, but his work is cut out for him and it's such a deep system. So, And he looks, if you see a picture of him, he looks like a good ball player. Yes, he's a middle infielder. Yeah, passes the eye test. So, yeah, the the fast-twitch athlete who's got the power potential and the speed and all that stuff, the, the A.J. Preller special, it seems. Um, so among the outfielders, Hudson Head will be there. I would love to see a foot race between Hudson Head and Xavier Edwards. Um, let's get C.J. Abrams in there as well. Uh, Christian Heredia, Grant Little, Josh Mears. I hope we see Josh Mears in the game, and I want to see him mash one because the yeah. guy's got power. Yeah. Uh, Tirso Arnelas will be there, as will Jason Rosario, Agustin Ruiz, Angel Solarte, Taylor Trammell. So I think Trammell and Abrams are like the two rock stars of this whole list. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to play. Mm-hmm. And then the catchers, Jared Alvarez-Lopez, Logan Driscoll, Johnny Hamza, Blake Hunt. I'm I'm excited to see Blake Hunt. It's going to be San nice Diego. to talk to him again. I'm also looking forward to shaking Tyler Malone's hand because he was nice enough to, to do an interview with us. Uh, he's listed as a catcher. He was drafted as a third baseman this year. Out of out of Oregon State. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Brandon Valenzuela, Gilberto Vizcarra, and then you've got the list of managers and coaches and hitting coaches and staff. And my goodness, it's a huge, huge list. It's a big list. And here's the game schedule: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's that's nine games. That that's the uh, the Arizona list, the Arizona game schedule. What we're reading right now, this was the roster that was posted by Baseball America. Yeah, They put a little article out saying that the roster was announced. Um, and so this isn't something that they necessarily publicize, because it's not like people pay money to go watch these games. These yeah. are happening on the backfield lots. Um, so if you went to one of these games, you'd probably have maybe a dozen people standing around, some coaches, some scouts, and then a bunch of players Maybe somebody's family. Much like spring training. You see a bunch of guys sitting around, a bunch of people watching play ball. Yeah, only there's no fans. Right. Because it's 140 <laughs> degrees out there. <laughs> Very true. So that's going to be exciting. 
I wouldn't be surprised to hear that they'll have a social summit there again. Yeah. They did each of the last two years. So keep your eyes open for the Padres account to tweet that out, reply to apply, um, and you might get a chance to talk to some of these kids. Absolutely. Or yeah. some of the staff. I'm right? really looking forward to crushing hot dogs. Like their hot dogs are going to be cheap. Oh, I'm, that's right. I'm bringing like 20 bucks. That's going to buy you like 40 hot dogs. I, I'm, I'm just, I'll be like, <laughs> like Joey Chestnut. <laughs> I'm going to crush some dogs. I do not want to watch that. Oh, my God. And then put my head underneath the mustard. Go, <laughs> oh, ah, it's gross. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the jalapeno handshake? A while ago, the folks at Gaslamp Ball put together an article about how to do Petco Park as cheap as humanly possible. And so it was like how to eat for free. And so you take your hand, you take some jalapenos, lay them out on your hand, and then you put some ketchup and some mustard and then some onions on top of that and pop it in your mouth. So you can just stand there at the condiment tray and eat for free. And it sounds really disgusting. But that's, that is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll eat anything, but that's just like, that's well, the jalapenos. Yeah, you have a little dipping tray. Yeah, put a little mustard on your pinky. Put a little ketchup on your middle finger. Oh yeah, yeah. You have a little, like a little nacho tray. <laughs> but you have to pay for the nachos. Uh, right, the jalapenos are free. Right, so well, the you, jalapeno handshake. Jalapenos in the ball in the palm of your hand, and then you have all your condiments on the outside fingertips. Oh, it's like a little. Did uh, it from East County? I like make... a little smorgasbord. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on because we want to go over the uh, the playoff rundown, you guys. Uh, we should have mentioned this before the last podcast, because it did happen. That last game with Tri-Cities, both Tri-Cities and Lake Elsinore took their respective uh, playoffs to the very last game. They were all playing when we were recording our last. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Tri-Cities, it was a, a three-game series, if you want no, to. No, it was a best of five for the finals. The semifinals were a best of three, and then the last one was a best of five. So yeah, it was game five that was going on that day. Okay. I'm pretty you. sure. I believe you. Don't quote me on it. But anyway... Reynaldo Ilaraza scored a run on a Kevin Melian single in the bottom of the first inning. The pair of 2015 international free agent signees were both contributors throughout the season. Ilaraza hit just 222 on the year, but drew 49 walks to post a solid 356 on base percentage. He kept it up in the postseason with five walks in the last two games and reaching at a 405 clip despite just one extra base hit in 38 trips to the plate. Melian, who turned 21 last week, had two of Tri-City's six hits on the night. After rough stints at both single-A stops to begin the year, the infielder hit 308-400-400 for the Dust Devils. I believe that was his third year making an appearance in uh, Tri-City. Yeah, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of treading water there a little bit. Well, he's advanced, and so they're pushing him aggressively because we saw him in Lake Elsinore last year quite a bit, and he would do okay, and then he would struggle, but, I mean, he's a teenager. He's still a teenager, even though the guy's been around for three years. So the Hops tied it in the third inning, and Hillsborough's Ryan January hit a two-out RBI single to put him ahead for good. Woof. Nick Thwaites took the loss, giving up a pair of runs over four innings of work. The 20-year-old righty, who earned an overslot bonus to sign with the club out of high school in Ohio in the 15th round last June, showed flashes this year but struggled to incorporate some mechanical improvements and allowed opponents to hit 298. Thwaites struck out just three and walked four in his two postseason starts. You know, this is one of those where it's like you, you have to set the results aside. Absolutely. This kid was drafted at a high school and yeah. made it all the way up to the, made it out to, out of the complex to affiliated ball and had a pretty solid year. Absolutely. So it's a big win for him, no matter what the box score says. Absolutely. And you're right. I just looked it up. There was a game five in Tri-Cities. Boom. I don't know why there was a three game. Well, it was a three game series and then the five game series was a championship game, but they both, that's, that's a, 
it was a great it was a great series. And listening to Chris King call everything, he does a great job with it. I, I someday they will figure out how to broadcast all of these all of these games because it's not that complicated. Just you've got cameras in all the ballparks already. Yeah, because the team has all the all of that. But anyway. Until we can watch it, we can at least listen to it. So yeah. we were sitting out in the living room. We had the game going on the speaker. We had one game going on the laptop because we could see the Amarillo feed. Yeah. And then we had the, the Padres game going up on the big screen. That's pretty much how it runs in my house, too. <laughs> Barely paying attention to the Padre game because by this time, it was just a, it was been a tough season for the Hopefully guys. this time next year, we're not saying the same thing, but we'll see. Hopefully this time next year, we'll be like, okay, we'll podcast after like when there's a travel day. Yeah, we will not podcast on game day. No, absolutely. Uh, moving on to the storm, it took it to the 10th inning in game five of the California League Championship game, but the Lake Gessner Storm season finally came to an end. Mason Fox led the team, led the 10th with a walk, and then Vasilius Alex Thomas hit a double to walk it off. Every time I see the name Alec Thomas, my brain says Alec Trebek. I know, I was thinking the same thing. I'm a big Jeopardy fan. Uh, Lake Gessner was down 3-0 in the fifth before rallying in the sixth inning for two runs on RBI singles by Gabriel Arias, Eggy Rosario. Gabriel Arias hit a game-tying home run in the top of the eighth inning. I was watching that. So that was one of the games I was watching the game day feed. And then you see hit, runs, and it's a home run. It's like, holy, yes. Yeah, but it wasn't broadcast. I know, but it, and I wasn't listening. Well, I wasn't listening to it because I was listening to, the, I think, the Tri-Cities game and watching the Padre game. All kinds of stuff going on there with uh, with these teams in the... Uh, anyways, Arias hit 281, 361, and 531, and 36 postseason plate appearances with four extra base hits, including two home runs. And each of those home runs came in big moments, Yeah, too. absolutely. It seems like every time he had an extra base hit, it was when the team needed one. Needed so much. Uh, the most. And that last month of his season, he really seemed to turn it on. I really hope you know it, it turns a corner for him next year, and it comes out hot and stays hot. And... Because that glove is real. The bat, if it's real, it, he can push. He can push Tatis for to play. You know, I'm God. I, that's I know that's blasphemy. So can I put on my untrained scout hat? Yeah. So we've we sit when we go to the storm games. We like to sit near the dugout so we can kind of look around the corner and see what's going on, yeah. how the guys are interacting. And Gabriel is one of the most emotional players I've seen. He gets so fired up. He's so intense. He, I think the next step for him is to learn how to harness that. Yeah. Because when I see a game where he's struggling, where he has a bad at bat, he's angry and, and it stays with him for a while, <laughs> which is you want that. Yeah. You want the guys yeah. to want to perform and to be disappointed when they don't do well, yeah. but they need to learn how to use that to their advantage. Baby rattlesnake. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he's got some of that because he's, he's still a teenager. Yeah. He's 19. 19. Yeah. And we've so, been talking about him since we started this damn podcast. Yeah. And you see him walking around and he is a grown ass man, but yeah. you have to remind yourself that he's still a teenager. I was, I was still fishing for beer <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I was his age. <laughs> so I think that'll be the next step for him. I don't know if they start him off at double A, but he's, I'm sure he's going to experience a fair amount of struggle when he yeah. makes that step yeah. and he's got to learn how to it's not just the physical the the discipline side of it it's the emotional side yeah. of being able to be level throughout the season yeah, whether absolutely. you're having a good game or a bad game still go out there and contribute yeah so he had only just six uh struck out six times in his postseason with four walks second baseman xavier edwards had three more hits saturday night and finished the playoffs with a 424 500 485 line and 39 plate appearances but what you know short 
it's it's a short sample size, but once again, you're playing the best team in the league. Well, you're playing you say, the best pitching. You say it's a short sample size. Through the second half of the season in Lake Elsinore, he still hit 300. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adrian Martinez, 22, pitched well in the three games of the Cal League, striking out 20 batters in 15 innings against only a single walk across three starts. And Adrian Martinez was just called up from Tri-City. Yeah. At the end of, of Lake yeah. Elsinore's season. Made those three starts. Every start was, was critical. It was a playoff game. And every one of those starts, he did really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 22 years old, good. He's at the proper age now where he's in the proper level. Uh, signed back in 2014-15, the international free agent period. The big righty had Tommy John surgery early in 2016 and was slow to bounce back. But he's added velocity and has a frame for a starter's workload. So what stood out for me after kind of letting the dust settle... When the season started, Lake Elsinore was the youngest team in the California League. A bunch of guys moved up to Double A as the season went by. Yeah. You had some guys that got injured and didn't finish out the season with a team like um, Estuary Ruiz, for mm -hmm. example. Mason Thompson. And so then you have all these guys coming up from Tri-City at the end of the season, a few guys from Fort Wayne, and the team got even younger, yeah. and yet, then they still made this deep drive through the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's... It's just a testament to you know the the deepness in the in the system. Yeah, because you look at the other team, you look at the guys that that the the Dodgers team and the Diamondbacks team were putting out there, and they're playing against guys that are four or five years older than yeah. them. Basili was very much older, 22, 23, 24 year old team, much older. But let's move on. Amarillo. To Amarillo. Yeah, this was exciting. Friend of the podcast, Aaron Lesher, tossed four strong frames of two-hit shut-up ball in the second consecutive game, five, his second consecutive game five start. To set the tone with two walks and a strikeout, Tulsa extended their lead to 3-0 in the bottom of the seventh inning when Jeter Downs sailed the two-run home run to left field off reliever Lake Bacher, who followed Lesher and tossed three quality innings with six strikeouts to keep Amarillo within striking distance. In the top of the eighth, pinch hitter Taylor Callway let off and let off and started the momentum after he was hit by a pitch. After two quick outs recorded, Edward Oliveris singled and Owen Miller walked to load the bases. Catcher Luis Torrens battled in a pinch a nine pinch at bat to walk in the first run for the Sod Portals. This is in the eighth inning. Down two runs with three outs to work with, and the Tulsa closer Nolan Long on the mound. Cal Overstreet and Buddy Reed saw four straight balls each, while pinch hitter Peter Van Gansen singled to load the bases. After that, this happened. Tulsa three, Amarillo one. Here comes Amarillo in the ninth inning. Long comes set. Pitch on the way, and Tramiel whacks one foul left side out of play, 0-1. Top of the ninth inning, it's also three, Amarillo one. The base is loaded, nobody out. Hirone on third, Reed on second, Van Gansen on first base. Trammell digs in, Castillo on deck, long comes set, 0-1. And Trammell takes a called strike in the outside. Okay, that second pitch, that second strike was high and outside, and I, I watched this game. He leaned and was screaming at... I was screaming at the TV because he was screaming at the Empire, just pointing and going, rah, 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 which just, I'm going, he's going to get tossed. On top of, forget the fact that he's emotional and the at-bat is done because when you get that emotional in the at-bat, 
in that moment, you're gonna a you're gonna swing at crap, or you're gonna try you're gonna try too hard, and mm-hmm. the emotion set in, and the and the and it's done. I did notice that he put like he put his hand out a couple times at the end, like I'm okay, I'm okay, right? And then he dug back in, right? And and, and thank you, umpire, for giving him that moment because it's a huge moment. Oh yeah, a lot of umpires would have run a guy just right there. It was a good 15, 30 seconds of him screaming. At corner, zero and two. did not like the call from Brian Walsh behind the plate. He's barking at him. Now he digs in. Righty on lefty as long comes set. Pitch on the way. And Tramel takes it up and away. Ball one. Runners lead off all three bases. Long looks in, has his sign. 1-2 on the way, and Tramiel gets a piece, fouls it back, will do it again at 1-2. and two. He walked over Street. He walked Reed. A bunt single by Peter Van Gansen. Amarillo down by two in the ninth inning, have the bases loaded, nobody out. 1-2 the count. Here it comes, and Tramiel takes it away, two and two. Taylor Tramiel, the huge acquisition by San Diego at the trade deadline, and now in his first go-around with the San Diego system, biggest spot of maybe his minor league career. 2-2 on the way, and Tramiel rips one, deep right field, Casey going back, he's at the wall, gone! Yeah! Taylor Tramiel, a go-ahead grand slam in the top of the ninth inning! The swing of the year, he bounces up and down, down the third baseline, he stumps on home plate, and the Sod Poodles take a 5-3 lead in the ninth inning! So that brought to you by Sam Levitt and the Amarillo Sod Poodles Radio Network. Biggest moment of the year for Taylor Tramiel. Oh my God! And, and he, had, you know, and that was his only hit of the game. But the whole playoff series, he did really well. He in the last month of the season, you know, when he first got here with us, he was still struggling. About the last three weeks of the season, he started turning it on and just kept getting key hits, key hits, key hits. The strikeout rate dropped. Absolutely. The power was coming back quite a bit. You know, and there was some chatter on Twitter from from, from the uh, the Twitter GMs, and I appreciate that, um, where they saw some differences in his hands, where his hands were, uh, his yeah, where, where his hands started. And so they might have done some tweaking there. Well, before they, when they, right when they acquired him, I saw some evaluations saying that he didn't use his lower body very effectively. Okay. Um, and so I think they were working on that too, trying to get his upper and lower body to work together. So whatever they did, it's, it's working. Um, now we got to carry it through the off season and into next year, but holy cow, he looked like a turn, like a new player the second half of the season. And he bounced around that, like he just high stepped it from first to second. And then when he went around second to third, he's just going crazy. I mean, God, what a huge moment. And, uh, you know, say what you want about how well Fran Mill Reyes is doing, uh, and we love Franimal, but this is our guy now. Mm-hmm. And so we need to get behind this guy. And if he if he 
you know, if he develops into what he should be, he could be a superstar. Uh, if he develops and becomes a, a solid everyday outfielder, that's even better. The the comp that I've heard that makes the most sense to me, like, and this is a high end projection, is okay. Curtis Granderson. Okay. So played center field, wound up sliding to a to a corner later in his in his career. Uh, corner, he was a left left handed hitter who hit for a fair amount of power, even though you wouldn't look know it looking at the guy. Yeah, he had speed. Um, didn't have the greatest throwing arm. There's a lot of parallels that okay. I think kind of make sense there. I, I love Curtis Granderson. He's a great he's a great guy. Plus, in he's the, a great dude. Yeah, and, and Granderson's granny's great in his community. Um, I think Granderson hits a little bit light. We're hoping for a little bit better bat from Trammell. Uh, but same inning later on, Hudson Potts hits a three-run bomb. They're like, just puts it away. There's your insurance, and that bomb was deep. Yeah. I mean, Trammell's, <laughs> Trammell's cleared by a handful of feet. But well, Hudson could have been caught. It really, if if he would have got back there, it could have been caught at the wall and it would have been over. Maybe. Yeah. But Hudson's cleared the wall by a good thirty feet. I mean, he blasted that thing. Absolutely. So what that did is that denied the Double A affiliate Tulsa Drillers of the Los Angeles Dodgers their repeat. So they won last year the Texas League Championship. They were three outs away from winning it again. You know, beating the Padres affiliate. You know, not again, but you know, the Padres get beat by the Dodgers because that's what we do. Not uh, this time. Not this time. Oh, I love it. Uh, and it gets even better because the last time that they won the Texas League, and we mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, was the inaugural season of the 1976 Amarillo Gold Sox. So back in 76, when, when minor league baseball first came to Amarillo, the inaugural season, they won the Texas League championships. Now, once again, lightning strikes twice. And the Emerald Sod Poodles win it again in 2019. You know, when you see pictures from back then, back like early 80s, late 70s, they're wearing they're wearing the major league teams uniforms. They would get the hand me down uniforms from the big league squad. Right. So like when it was the Walla Walla Padres, they were wear, that's why they were wearing Padres uniforms because the team didn't want to spend the money to get special jerseys for them. They might get a hat that would say the WW for Walla Walla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, when I think with that going. So I just I think it's interesting that it's come that far that now They've got their own uniforms. They've got multiple uniforms for Road and Away and Alternate, and then they do the the theme nights and yeah. all this. So the marketing and the branding, I mean, Brandios, we still need to get Brandios on the phone one of these days. We will get them on this year. I hope so. This off-season, this off-season year. But the whole marketing side of it, I find that interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. It will, and now, uh, I think that happens with the DSL guys. I think the DSL players... They get the the true hand me down. So you see them playing. Every see the DSL mm-hmm. pictures, they're always in the blue. That's a couple of years older. Um, I think now that we go into brown in, in 2020, they'll probably start getting the jerseys from this year. Maybe the Friday Browns are mm-hmm. are something similar. But that I think that happens there. Yeah, well, and it happens at the fall league or the the summer league, the Arizona summer league too. That they're Padres one, Padres two. Yeah. And they're wearing what look like kind of old jerseys. Right, the old like spring their old player spring training jerseys. Yeah. But that's it, Amarillo. Woo! Thank you so much for, and and really real quick for Sam that listens to this, uh, did a great, fantastic job. Not only was he a great broadcaster, the interaction on Twitter, all the stuff they did on Twitter, the the first to third interviews were really cool. Um, I loved how Wellman he took some video, he hit him some had hit him fungos. Had him uh, take grounders at third, and you know, Welly would just he'd tweet out like, "That's why he's a broadcaster." <laughs> and if you ever get a chance to listen to the uh, the post wrap up of the season interview, um, Sam Levitt, Prince of the Panhandle, 
Is that his nickname? That's his nickname from Phil Wellman. Wow, that's wow. So I listened to the whole Phil Wellman interview at the end, like the end of the the season dinner or luncheon or whatever. He's like the prince of the panhandle, Sam over there. And you hear Sam say something in the back, and I tweeted Sam. I'm like, dude, you're never gonna live it down now. I love it. He's the prince of the panhandle. That's great. Well, um, the, the city of Amarillo really came out for this this team. Absolutely, and it's their first year in the organization, but they were packing the park. Uh, did you see the video when the bus came back? Yeah, after they won at midnight, and there were hundreds of people standing out there with signs and cheering and everything, welcoming the team back. It reminded me of when the Padres went to the World Series in 98, and it was like 2 in the morning when they came back, and there were thousands of people down there at Jack Murphy to welcome the team and, and thank them for what they did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this year, uh, they I think they were fourth. They were in the top five of attendance, and they sold out almost every game. Of all of minor league of baseball. all minor league baseball. And this yes. is AAA with a large, lot, you know, I think Las Vegas was the first, uh, was number one. I think there might have been one other team, uh, Fayetteville. Uh, the Fayetteville is another team, high A, that uh, opened up this year. But they sold out almost every game this year, Amarillo did. That's fantastic. Good for them. Great job by everybody in the Amarillo organization. But now we got more baseball. We have a little bit more to talk about. We have the Arizona Fall League. So the Fall League wrapped up, but they had some awards that were that people have been handing out. Absolutely. Well, the fall Arizona Fall League is... Or not the Fall League. No, I'm sorry. I'm skipping ahead. The Fall League is just starting up. Yes. <laughs> See, this is why we need to podcast every week. We'll remember this stuff. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not disagreeing about the every week thing. I'm talking about the remember stuff. Oh, my God. That's why we have a whole... Yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> Arizona Fall League. We got Luis Camposano. You got Owen Miller. You have uh, Elliot Ashbeck. Uh, Reese Kinnear uh, has already pitched. Re- had some difficulty... Uh, his last outing, Elliot Ashbeck in his debut did really well. Last Friday, he had four innings pitched, four Ks and two base on balls, and he got the win. Uh, Owen Miller, Luis Camposano, and Hudson Potts have all gotten hits. Uh, it's great watching video out of the Arizona Fall League because you hear the crack. Like it, there's no one there at these games, and it's a it's a shame because this is like all this is like a minor league all star game. It is, all, all, you know, in almost, a way, in, in a way. Osvaldo Hernandez is also down there. I don't know if he's made it into a game yet. E- exactly. Um, but you see these, you know, you see this crack, and it just echoes throughout the whole ballpark. Well, because it's freaking hot. Yeah. So I don't know how many people are in attendance. Yeah. But I, I, one of these years, Angela and I want to go out there. So this right now, if you were out there, you'd be watching the Peoria Javelinas play. But then also on the back lots, you've had you got fall instructs. Yeah. So there's so much going on. It's like spring training, only there's even less people around. And you're gonna be a real minor league nerd to want to do that. <laughs> well, the fall Arizona Fall League is fun because a couple of those games are televised. Um, they do have a bunch of stuff around uh, the whole Arizona Fall League. Um, but the instructs is just once again, if you're a baseball junkie like me, like Roy, you go out there, you're gonna see these guys, and you're gonna get to know these guys a little bit sooner than most people will. Uh, but moving on, uh, the Prospect Live guys uh, came out with their short season all stars, and. Uh, Catcher right fielder, which is I thought was kind of a weird thing for Logan Driscoll. He well, was they've had a couple of guys like that because yeah. they had Johnny Hamza as yeah. well, who was splitting time between catcher and third base. Absolutely. So these are guys that they're kind of converting to catcher bit by bit. Absolutely. So he uh, he was he was chosen as an all star and also Jordy Barley, but two sixty eight, three forty, four fifty eight, three home runs, a hundred one ninety ISO. A 14% K rate, 9% base on ball rate, and 162 plate appearances. Uh, catcher Logan Dristle, admittedly, this one's cheating a bit, 
Driscoll actually started more games in right field than behind the plate as a pro. That said, the supplemental second rounder and underslot signee as a bit of an unexpected top 100 pick entered pro ball with a strong defensive reputation behind the dish. So there's little reason to believe this portends a move down the defensive spectrum. Presumably, the Padres wanted to limit Driscoll's innings in the crouch as he played in September for the first time. That lessened exposure behind the dish may have helped him at helped helped him at it as he started a solid, you know, 268, 340, 458. With a, with the strong strikeout and walk numbers, that performance might be more meaningful for Driscoll than short season ball typically is for recent college draftees. Driscoll comes from the Atlantic 10, hardly a baseball powerhouse, and struggled mightily last summer on the Cape. His most recent experience with wood bats, he's most recent experience with wood bats. He struggled in the Cape Cod League. Thank you very much, English language. It's encouraging to see him get off on a good footing offensively in pro ball. So the first year in pro ball, you're adjusting to the wood bat. You're adjusting to the season of playing every day. Right. He just got drafted. So in college, you're going to class. You've got workouts. You're playing on the weekends. Now much. it's baseball every day, all day. You've got workouts in the morning. You go play a game. You know, then you're traveling, you're staying in a hotel, whatever, you're on the bus. Whole different jar of pickles there. For on sure. T- on top of your only really condition for that last year of college. So these guys going into the offseason will have a little bit of a taste of conditioning to get ready for a, f- you know, for a full season of minor league ball, but yet still need to go through that next year. Like this year was um, Blake Hunt's first full season as a minor leaguer. Mm-hmm. So going into this offseason, he's going to have to up the conditioning and strengthening uh, to make it through another season to continue to grow and develop and be ready. Yeah, because they're kind of playing a second season. They played a full season yeah. of college ball. Yeah. And then you have to shift and do it all over again. Yeah. Playing at much, much, pretty much the same level. Yeah, that, that's season. why a lot of the college draftees wind up going to the Northwest League pretty quick. Yeah. Because you figure that that's a slight step up from where they were, where yeah. you don't see the high school draftees leave the complex very often. They've got to really play their way out of the Arizona Summer League like yeah. C.J. Abrams did. But it's rare to see that with the, with the high school guys. Absolutely. And and also, in in Arizona, in the complex, they really just want them to start learning how to be a big leaguer. Or not a big leaguer, but, you know, pro ball. And that's setting up routines. That's setting up, um, you know, throwing and conditioning and just regular activities that get you. Like, and just being away from home for the first time. Yeah. For a lot of these kids. So shortstop Jordy Barley hit 254, 310, 423, eight home runs uh, in that spacious Geisha Stadium. Uh, 14 stolen bases, 168 ISO, 32% K rate, 7% um, base on ball rate, uh, and 304 plate appearances. It wasn't a good crop of Northwest League shortstops this year, so we're we're left with Barley. Like he's a consolation prize. <clears throat> yeah, that's, you know, uh, a well-regarded international prospect who hasn't performed well in pro ball. Barley's service numbers this year were solid, 254, 310, 423, with eight homers. Um, those mask a 32.2 strikeout rate and a 7.2 walk rate, a continuation of pitch recognition problems which have plagued him since he signed. The athletic gifts are still here, but he's only 19. And he's only 19, but Barley will need to tighten up the strike zone awareness as he moves to full season ball. You know, those are the same kind of things that people were saying about Gabriel Arias a year ago. Yeah. Um, now, Arias has been a, a step ahead of him the whole time. I believe they were signed in the same class. It was him, Arias, and Justin Lopez who put in a pretty solid year in Fort Wayne this year. Yeah. Uh, those three guys have always been kind of mentioned in the same breath 
for the last couple of years, and now they've started to separate themselves. But Jordy Barley, he's a, a well-rounded athlete. And when he was signed, they were looking at him going, this guy, Lopez might hit better, and Gabriel might be the better fielder, but down the down the road, Barley might be the best out of the three. Who Absolutely. knows? And, and everyone develops and everyone moves forward at their own time. This guy would be a freshman in high school, at 19 to be a freshman. Mm-hmm. He's already got three years of- A freshman of, in college. Yeah. Right, sorry, freshman in college. He's already got three years of, in, you know, of pro ball experience. That doesn't mean every year he gets- you know, like exponentially better, but there's still lots of development to happen. There's still lots to like about him. And there's still tons of tons of time. Like these, you know, we always, Tatis has really blown it because at 19, he's playing pretty much major league baseball at 20. Um, everyone develops at a different At 20, time. he's playing all-star level baseball. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's unusual. Most it players, really unusual. They, they get till they're like 24, 25 before they, Finally break through. Yeah. So moving on, Prospects Live guys also came out with their Arizona League All-Stars. Uh, Miguel Rondon, who talked to, Jason Panini talked about, uh, had 40 innings pitched, 40 and a third innings pitched, had a 3.79 ER, a 4.29 FIP, a 27.8 K rate, and a 7.5 base on ball percentage. Rondon is a thin but athletic 5'11", Venezuelan righty. Rondon threw five innings on 7.17, and I quickly became smitten. Rondon repeats his mechanics well and has borderline plus command. He is very advanced for his age, boasting three pitches with a chance to get to 55 or better. Rondon maintained arm speed for all pitches and was a master of sequencing. He would use any pitch in any count. Rondon is a bulldog that throws strikes and attacks hitters. Size be damned. I look at him and think back in starter. Okay. Not so bad. I like that. It's very descriptive of, of Jason. Um, so, so now, he was the only one that really made the Arizona Arizona League. Because he is he coming to? Uh, yeah, he's in. He's in instructs. He should probably. He might see an inning in the back end of that game. Perhaps. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to find him on the on the sheet here, trying to figure out how old he is. Here we go. He is. He's 18 years old. Yeah. So he's thin. He's not tall, but he can still fill out. Yeah. So as you fill out, you can repeat your delivery a little bit better. Yeah. Um, the command becomes better. So when you're looking at guys at this age, you're not looking at the stat line. You're looking for other things that you can kind of dream on. The tools. Yeah. And so Jason has experience as a scout. He used to work for the Milwaukee Brewers. He was an associate so scout. Yeah. He's been trained. He has experience. He knows what to look for. Um, and so to a certain degree, I trust his opinion. When he sees somebody and points things out, yeah. that that carries some weight for me. Um so he's somebody to keep an eye on, if nothing else. Absolutely. It's going to be fun to see in the, uh, in the Don Wilkie Classic. So next on, on our list here, uh, we're talking about attendance. Minor League Baseball attendance is up this year, writes Baseball America's J.J. Cooper and Josh Norris. A year after Minor League Baseball posted its smallest total attendance in 14 seasons, Minor League Baseball attendance was up 2.6% in 2019. MILB reported that 41,504,077 fans passed through the turnstiles in 2019, an increase of 2.6% from last season's 40,450,337 fans. The MILB record is 43.2 million set in 2018. It's the 14th consecutive season that attendance has topped 40 million. Not so much with other pro sports. Last year's NFL attendance was the league's worst total attendance since 2010. The NBA in 2018-19 saw fewer fans cross the gates than any year since 2015. And MLB's attendance last year was its worst since 2003. 
the NHL does not officially release attendance information. Yeah, and that's fine. So MLB saw significant success with the Copa de Delivision initiative, which teams created events to honor the local Latino community and pride events aimed at honoring the LGBTQ community. Inclusiveness, bring everyone to the ballpark. Um, according to MILB, the Copa Games, where the minor league teams adopted Spanish language names and identities, drew crowds 20% above average attendance. While MILB Pride events drew crowds 12% larger than normal, new ballparks in Amarillo, Fayetteville, and especially Las Vegas made impacts. The Rocky Mountain Vibes replaced the Helena Brewers. They saw an increase of 106,208 people. The Syracuse Mets had Tim Tebow effect, which saw a boost in attendance and there At, and on the road. The Tim Tebow effect. It is. I don't know if the Tim Tebow effect is going to be back next year. I really don't know. It's a, to me, it's a sideshow. But the point here is that more people came out to watch minor league baseball this year than last. And as, as we can attest, and hopefully as some of you out there can attest, it's a lot of fun going to minor league games. It's affordable. Um, there's interaction with everybody. Yeah. You've got they, they do a good job putting on a show for a, for a pretty fair price. Absolutely. Anywhere you go, like the five ball clubs we went and saw this year are for you know for for our um, vacation. You know, they have it's cheaper. You see good talent. I think a lot of fans now are getting to know not just the Padre fans, um, but I think a lot of other fans are getting to understand and know and appreciate the minor league clubs that they have and are taking that time to go out and see them. And they do put on a good product. I mean, the, the Storm have with a signature Saturday where, you, you know, you come and you have kids get, you know, they get balls signed and. Yeah, they've got a, they've got something every night of the week. It's, like Monday, you can bring your dogs, and then they right. got Taco Tuesday, Thirsty Thursday. They've Thursdays. got uh, on Sundays. They've got military, like they give deal to people with military IDs. Absolutely. I, and so teams are being aggressive about this, but I think another part of it is the accessibility of the media that we can we can read about these players. We can look yeah. up stats. We yeah. there are news reports coming out. Yeah. You've got blogs writing about minor league stuff. You've got podcasts talking about minor league baseball. And you've got people out there that actually want to listen to two idiots that just like to talk about minor league baseball. And they have that for every team in the league. Yeah. You know, and several of it. Where uh, several years blogs, ago several... to find that stuff, it wasn't in when when you had to go to print media, right. you weren't seeing box scores for yeah. what happened in Lake Elsinore and the San Diego Union Tribune. No. You had to really follow to know what was going on. Or you'd have to read like the Post Gazette in, in Fort Wayne because they have their it's their local paper, it's their local sports team. But now you've got Twitter, so you've got Dylan Sin and anybody can follow him, anybody can read his stuff. Right. And if you tweet him, he usually gets back to you with the answer. Like I asked him a couple of times, Hey, what happened here? I don't know. I'll find out. One of my favorite things, well, down the stretch with Amarillo, when we were listening to the games, I would always tweet Sam and say, we're listening from the parking lot at Lake Elsinore right. Storm, getting ready to go into the game. And then what do you know, 10 minutes later, he would give us a shout out on the radio. You know what I forgot to do, Roy? <laughs> and, and I apologize, guys. Uh, just the other day, I uh, I texted Aaron Lasher and asked him if he can give us a quote on his pitching for, oh, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. I totally forgot about this. Um, and he was gracious enough to write back a few things. So this is what he said. I asked him if he made any sequencing changes or any changes that he made to uh, to these that last start. And I didn't make any changes to pitching sequences or my mindset. I stuck with what had gotten me to this point and what's brought me success in previous outings. Also, I faced a lot of these, a lot of those hitters throughout the season. So I felt like I had a pretty good game plan going in. I try not to add any extra pressure to any game. I just try to treat it like any other game and go out there and execute pitches. That's huge because 
you know, you think you're in a higher level, you need to change something. Like the game will tell you when you need to change. If you have continued success, you're doing just fine. But once you hit that adversity, once they do hit your stuff or once they do get you out, like you have to make the adjustments. But until then, keep doing what's got you there. Well, and to be able to to play in high leverage games at an advanced level, people can let that get to their head. Yeah. So he's got a good approach where he's got his preparation, he's got his routines, um, and he can clear his mind and it's just the game. So hopefully in a year or two, when he gets the call up to a major league mound, it's the same kind of thing that he can do what David Bednar did, for example, and come out here to a major league stadium and start blowing guys away right off the bat. Right. God, talk about Bednar. He gets me excited. I, I mean, finally we got, I mean, not finally, but like someone in the bullpen that has really good stuff. I mean, a, a, an electric fastball, absolutely great changeup, devastating breaking ball, and he has not got hit yet. I'm well, sure. is it a, it's, a, it's a split finger, right? Is it, is it a splitty? It's a splitter. Okay. It's a splitter that Hideo, he learned from Hideo Nomo. When, back when he was like the instructional? Hideo Nomo was a Padres employee. Yeah. He was a roving instructor. Yeah. And I think he'd been messing around with a split finger or a forkball, whatever you want to call it. And he talked to Hideo. Hideo showed him his grip, showed him the position, and worked with him for a while. I think they were together for like a half an hour working on that pitch. And that's what has evolved into what it is. Yeah. He doesn't throw, because Hideo would throw his a lot slower. And it really was a true forkball where it would just tumble and dive. David throws his more like a like a split finger fastball yeah. where it's got the velocity like what Kirby Yates does where okay. it starts in the zone Same and arm, just disappears. Speed. Yeah, but that's that's how he learned that pitch was from Hideo Nomo, and I, I love that ancestry. I, see, and I love those stories. Um, but going back to to Bednar, he wasn't on a prospect list. No, he wasn't like oh can't wait till this guy comes up. No, he's a like, pop up. There's just- going to be guys. The guy's pitching tonight, Ronald Bolanos. We know a lot about him. Not a lot of Padre fans know about him. He wasn't on a lot of top 30 lists. There's going to be guys coming up through the through the minor leagues that we all know, guys, that you guys know, but that Padre fans don't know. And they're going to come up and have some success and some, maybe some failure. But like, it's not always the top 30 guys that come up and contribute to the major league team. That's the beauty of baseball. You're not going to have... And just because you're on a top 30 list or top 20 list doesn't mean you're going to be in a, you know, a major league player and you're going to have success. It's baseball. It- yeah, you know, and to play off something you just mentioned, earlier we talked about Mason Fox. Yeah. That he came in and he wound up giving up the the runs to lose the, the deciding game, yeah. which is, is hard to take. And earlier in that series, I think it was the series before, against the Dodgers affiliate, he came in and gave up back-to-back home runs and wound up losing a game. Those quakes. So a couple of gut-punch losses for a kid that was in Northwest League most of the year, yeah. came up to Lake Elsinore and... Had some success, had a little bit of struggle, but you got to learn how to get knocked down and pick yourself back up because after that appearance against the Quakes, he had a couple more appearances where he went out, shut him down. Yeah. Last game of the year leaves him with a bitter taste in his mouth, I'm sure, with that loss, but you've got to push the guys. You got to make them struggle, yeah. see how they adjust. And then if they've got the stones to to bounce back, yeah. then you know you got somebody. Absolutely. And with Mason Fox, he has the velocity. He has the upper 90s fastball. He has what he talked about it in the podcast a little bit. Uh, he's developing the curveball. I think he has a, has a slider or a change, but he's also working on a curveball. Like, he has the stuff and and room for more. More in the tank there, more development. Well, so, and from a frame standpoint, he's got that too because he's a wiry guy. Yeah. He's tall, he's got long arms, but you can see that he can fill out quite a bit still. I think he's he's a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. And so, 
you know, we we talk about the top 30 all the time. We talk about the Luis Urias's, the Tatistas. We talk about the Mackenzie Gores. Um, those are all really solid ball players. are going to be ball players in, you know, in Gores' instance. But it's these guys that we don't, you know, that aren't shiny, that aren't the latest prospect, that aren't on the 20, top 20 list, that uh, that do make it up to baseball, the major league team, and perform and have success. How about Seth Mejia's Breen the other day? Oh, my God! <laughs> Walk-off home run. Did what? you see where the ball went? It went into upper the tunnel take. in the second deck. Yes, upper <laughs> take. It's funny because the, the at-bat before that, I just look, I think he hit a home run here. He didn't hit a home run there. He hit it the next at-bat, but just I had a feeling... I like the wide stance. Like, he has a good, that, that wide stance. is not a lot of movement. It's just pick up the foot, put it back down. Kind of reminds me of Jeff Bagwell a little bit. Absolutely. Just, 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 you know, just twisting the hips, just making the adjustment. I mean, not adjustment, but he's just no large step forward, no leg kick, just he's ready to hit right the there. The head stays steady. Yeah. And then Annie talked to him after the right after the game, and he's like, Best feeling in the world. And I just, yeah. I, I almost ran through the television just for a guy that's not even, he's a minor league free agent. I doubt he even is invited back to spring. I'm sure he'll sign somewhere else. You know what I mean? Just one of those guys that at 28 years old made it to the big leagues and had his moment. And when he had his moment, he took advantage of it. And for one day, he was an absolute king. He, he absolutely was. You know, and uh, that's the beauty of baseball. And that's, that's, you know, that's what we're talking about with guys come up. It just, it doesn't matter. It, it, they don't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be sexy. They come up and they perform and stuff happens. Nick Markavichist, you know, um, came up and had lots of success. In the few, you know, the three starts that he had. Um, and there's still a lot more development in him. I had a chance to talk to him last weekend. And, okay. and I, I, we did, I did tell him that when we talked to him, we didn't really think that we, it, we didn't dream that he would make it to the big leagues right. this year. Right. You know, and so the fact that he had a strong off season and just cruised through spring training and wound up, th- these are the things that people dream about. Absolutely. And if he doesn't make another major league start for the rest of his career, if this off season that things happen with the roster where he's, you know, he's dropped off and never makes himself out of out of the minor leagues again. That's still pretty damn good. He helped us win a few games. There, and that's baseball. That's, there, there is a short list of human beings that yeah. have played Major League Baseball, and he is on that list. Yeah, they can less, never take that away no, from him. Less than 20,000 people have played this sport at the highest level in 150 years. 150 years. There have been 150... There have been more than 20,000, like, I don't know, like crab catchers in the, in the Bering Sea or whatever. You know, it's like, it's an elite few. And to just have that... And that moment, you know, to come up to play for a little bit, it's fantastic. You know, it just, it gets me. So I love the sport. I freaking love baseball. I love baseball too. All right. So that's it. <laughs> uh, we're going to, uh, hopefully we'll be, uh, we'll be able to, we've been given permission to talk to players for the Don Welke. So we should be uh, coming back here with some interviews. Yeah. I'm hoping to get some hot and heavy, some of the sexier names, maybe talk to CJ Abrams, um, Taylor Trammell. This is our first time doing this. So we don't know what to expect. We don't know if how it goes or how it works. So um, they're allowing us to do it. So we're going to do our best to bring you guys some cool content going into the off season. We're going to get a hold of players. We're going to see if they want to talk to us. Uh, we'll have Arizona Fall League. We have the Australian League. I'd love to talk to Brandios because that's a great story. The just, Dominican Winter League is going to be starting up soon. Absolutely. I, I believe they just had their draft. They did. We, none of those. Well, all those guys that got drafted last year, like Jason Rosario, Estrui Ruiz, 
they still have to play for those teams. Yeah, so I think they have to finish whatever their uh, obligation is to yeah. the major league team before they can move on to that. Yeah, and I follow a couple of those teams on Instagram, and you see them hitting, you see them throwing, you see them starting to practice. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have that. We have tons of content to come forward, uh, you know. but we're not going to sit here and bore you with a bunch of stuff that – yeah, that isn't worth listening to. So, well, we've it, already been boring them for what an hour and how long for for the leisure fryer. Thank you very much for listening to us. This he, last he took an extra. I hope he took an extra <laughs> long walk today. <laughs> um, just they may not be as frequent, but we're definitely have more uh, podcasts going into the off season. Oh yeah, we'll keep it going. You know, thank you guys so much for for uh, for listening for uh, for taking the time to listen to two. Fools talk about minor league baseball when there's so many more podcasts, so many other things you guys can be doing. You know, you just chose to listen to us. We really do appreciate it. Um, for what, for whatever it is on Twitter, whatever, however it goes, it's just, you know, it's, it's thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and for everyone that has listened, that has participated, if it's a player, if it's Sam, uh, if it's anyone who in the organization listened to this, thank you once again for allowing us to talk to you, uh, talk to you and talk about you. And, uh, and tell your story, man. I, I really do have fun doing this. Like I spend tons of time writing out the agenda. I have tons of time writing, tons of fun writing out all the questions for players and struggling over how to write a sentence. I mean, you guys think I'm bad on Twitter. You should see me struggle with writing a question on well, how'd your season go without it make it sounding like how'd your season go. Anyways, <laughs> uh, you can reach me on Twitter. Dude, you can reach me on Twitter. SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Till then, go Padres. Let's go Padres. Padres.